What if you could have a career where the opportunities are as vast as our nation, where it's not about mission statements, but a shared mission? At U.S. Customs and Border Protection, we go beyond to protect more than borders. From ship to shore, air to ground, cities to local communities, CBP agents and officers are keeping people safe. Join U.S. Customs and Border Protection and go beyond for something far greater than yourself. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. The Riley and Kimmy Show. The Streets of San Francisco, a Quinn Martin production, starring Carl Malden. Also starring... Jimmy! I got one thing! Jimmy! Tonight's episode... Mr. Nobody. That is who I am. Welcome to this episode, number 1176. It is a Wednesday, the day the show is uploaded. Hello, everybody. Hello, everybody. Hi. Hi there. I am your host, Patrick Riley. Quite a good scene, isn't it? One man crazy. Three very sane spectators. That's right, three sane spectators. Matter of fact, you can see a picture of one of them that I uh, posted right before we recorded this episode. Yes, one of the uh, fur kids, one of the sane ones, right behind me on her fur bed. Uh, She was waiting for this next person to be here in the studio. That is Kimmy. And she was patiently waiting for Kimmy to come into the studio and her other fur brother, her fur brother, to come in. Welcome to this episode, Kimmy. Why, thank you very much. Well, well, it's always a pleasure that you show up every day. Thank you for being here to the Riley and Kimmy Show, a place that you can find pop culture escapism every single day. Tell your friends you found a place that offers a brand new talk show every single day, a brand new episode. That's right. Nerd variety. That's what we're all about. Uh, pop culture, nerd things, trivia, and you know trips down into yesteryear. And, of course, focusing on today in the world of nerdum And the word I am banned from saying, Kimmy doesn't want me to say geek, because she now knows what the word means, uh, where its roots come from. She doesn't like that word now. She's looking for a replacement word. Um, but, yeah, th- that's the kind of stuff we talk about. Tell your friends about us. You can follow us and, and on social media, stay in tuned and things like that. Please do and help the show grow. Tell your friends about us. You can find social media links right on our website and archived episodes, too, by the way. All of them, including that includes celebrity video interviews and also nerd news and so much more. Links to nerd stuff like that. Uh, you can find that right on our website. What is our web address? Rileyandkimmy.com. And you can also go right to our event page and find out where we're going to be next because we will be taking it to the streets. <laughs> And we'll be taking it to the dogs. That's right. As we take it to the streets coming up on March 18th. That's not that far off. Saturday, March 18th in Melbourne, Florida. Starting at 10 o'clock in the morning until 2. We will be at the Paws on the Catwalk Fashion Show. Right, Kimmy? That's right. Yes, this is happening at the Melbourne Auditorium. It's a luncheon fashion show, live and silent auction. Vendors and adoptable pets will be there, too. That's right. You might be able to find that new fur friend. That's coming up Saturday, March 18th in Melbourne, Florida at the Melbourne Auditorium for the Paws on the Catwalk. Vendors will have all kinds of things for your uh, your fur kids. You'll be able to check that out. It's all going for, uh, well, to help the Brevard Humane Society. And you can find out more at the BrevardHumaneSociety.org. And by the way, big thank you going out to the Brevard Humane Society for inviting the Riley and Kimmy show to this fun event and also uh, for inviting a superhero who will be right next to the Riley and Kimmy show. Who is that superhero, Kimmy? 
That's Tug. That's right, Tug, the Bull Terrier puppy. His parents will be there, his human parents. That is Kim Joy and Blake Ovard. Yes, and Tug comic books. Tug has his own comic book and so much more. You can find out about this superhero by going right to our website at RileyandKimmy.com. We have an interview with Tug's dad, Blake Ovard. Blake talks about Tug's, uh, well, Tug's roots. Uh, and it, I, I'll be honest, it. It's not a happy beginning for Tug. It's not like when Kal-El from Krypton landed on Earth and the Kents found him. No, this is a, is far more tragic. But it has a happy ending. Tug helps rescues throughout the country. And also, anti-bullying has uh, seminars and things that Tug does for that throughout the country. And also works with dementia awareness. Now, it's no secret that Tug's mother, Kim Joy, suffers from dementia. Correct, Kimmy? Yes. And she has a book that's that was done about that, too, as well. Yes, she does. And you can check that out. They'll have more information available right at this big event happening on Saturday, March 18th. And also, by the way, Tug is a national television personality. He was featured on Rachel Ray not that long ago. That is true. It's a great little clip if you can find it easily, I believe, on YouTube. That's correct. Mm-hmm. And and Tug is very precious. We woof him, and we, we think you'll woof him, too. Uh, so check him out. He will be at the Melbourne Auditorium Saturday, March 18th. We will be there, too. And once again, thank you to the Brevard Humane Society for inviting us. If you know anybody in Florida, maybe you're not in Florida yourself, but you have friends or family in Florida or visiting Florida during this time, please tell them about this event. That's Pause on the Catwalk Fashion Show. Find out more at BrevardHumaneSociety.org. Kimmy, I have a question for you. On this Wednesday, are you able, are you willing to play Nerd and Pop Culture Geek Trivia? Yeah, let's do it. Yes, it's time for Nerding Geek Trivia. By the way, we will be kicking it off a little bit different this time on the Riley and Kimmy Show before we move to a timeline question of Kimmy, which will be a jumbled-up timeline. Feel free to shout out some answers, too, Kimmy. Now we're going to kick things off with Nerding Geek Trivia with the 10 weirdest one-hit wonders of the 1980s. Kimmy, we're going to see if you can identify some of these 10 as they claim, not not the Riley and Kimmy show. This is not our statement weirdest. This is me TV's statement of weirdest. They're, they're the ones that said weirdest. They're say, they said weird for the 1980s. So let's see if Kimmy can identify some of these. Feel free to shout out the answers too, Kimmy, because we believe in time travel answers. You are in the future to us right now as we record this. Feel free to yell at your or shout at your uh, laptop, your tablet, your your smartphone, your desktop, whatever you're listening to the Riley and Kimmy show on, because we are mobile, we are global, you can take us anywhere on planet Earth. Here we go, Kimmy, with the 10 weirdest one-hit wonders of the 80s. Now, Kimmy, we won't be too tough with you here. We're going to see if you can identify the song title, at least maybe the artist. It could be so, you know, one one hit wonder that it just, you know, you're not going to remember who the, the recording artist is. And the year, if you can, when the song was sort of on the charts, we will give you a plus or minus of two years. Now, you have it easy here because it's the 1980s. We know it's the 1980s, so it's somewhere from 1980 to 1989. You have a two-year plus or minus with any of these. Here is your very first one of the weirdest one-hit wonders of the 80s. Dressed up like a million-dollar trooper Trying hard to look like Gary Cooper Come 
let's mix We're Rockefellers Walk with sticks or umbrellas in the mix All right, Kimmy, finish it. Tell me what the title is. He will say it there. Putting on the Ritz. That's right. Tell me. Can you? Can you do this? Can you tell me the name of the recording artist? One Hit Wonder. No, I can't. It's Taco. One Hit Wonder. Putting on the Ritz. It was on the radio everywhere. On or in what year, Kimmy? Within two. What year was that song playing on a lot of radio stations and on television? 85. 1983, so you get it within two. That's putting on the Ritz. Did you have that at one time in your record collection? No. Now, will you admit, because you are the dancer here, you are the hoofer, did you ever dance to putting on the Ritz? No. What is wrong with you? That is a classic, Kimmy, originally done many years ago by Irving Berlin. The song, you know, way, I mean, way back. I mean, that's a classic. You never danced to putting on the Ritz? Shit. I didn't like the beat. I <laughs> didn't. I love that song. I have that on MP3 player too, by the way. Matter of fact, every single one of these that we're going to play here, except one, I have on my personal player. Okay. <laughs> Let's see if you can identify the next one. Give me, give me the year within two. Tell me the name of the the hit, the the song, and tell me the name of the recording artist as a bonus point. Here it is. <laughs> Oh, Kimmy, can you tell me the name of that song? Tarzan song? Oh, you're you're close. Think about it. You you're very close. You're very close. I'm. It's Tarzan Boy was the name of the song. Tarzan okay. Boy. Can you tell me who sang that? Nope. Baltimore. And the year that was on the radio and being played, no joke here, at dance clubs, some of them. Can you tell me, and and at choice weddings throughout the country, can you tell, receptions that is, can you tell me the name, or the, tell me the year that that happened? 86. That's exactly right, 1986. Did you dance to Tarzan Boy? No. You did hear Tar, Tarzan Boy on the radio, though. Mm-hmm. Yes, and, and, and on MTV. Okay, moving over to somebody else here. Identify this solo recording artist. Tell me the year it was released or actually played on radio. The year it played. Here is the song. I think you're going to actually identify who this is. I think you'll you'll do it. Are you ready? Kimmy, without answering, do you know who that is? I think so. Okay. It's not Don Johnson. Right. Okay. I just wanted to make sure you didn't say that one. It is not Don Johnson, but tell me who it is. It's somebody who was famous on television at this time period. Who is it? Bruce Willis. That's exactly right. Respect Yourself was a it, it, it charted. Tell me what year within two that that was on radio. Mm, 87. That's correct. 1987 and Don Johnson had a hit right at that time period, too. Remember? Mm. Remember the name of it? Don Johnson's? Heartbeat? Yeah, one heartbeat, heartbeat. Yeah, heartbeat will accept. 
Uh, that that was it. Okay, see if you identify this one, Kimmy. It might be tough here. I'm sure you, well, I'd like to see the dance you did to this one. Okay, Kimmy, can you identify either the name of the single or tell me the name of the recording artist? Um, pump up the volume. That's exactly right. Bonus points. Can you tell me who recorded that? No. Mars. And can you tell me the year within two that that was on the radio and that was on dance floors oh, yeah. throughout the country? Kimmy did dance to it, did you not? Much easier to dance to. Yeah, you did dance that way. Aren't sure. you saying, that had a danceable beat. Yes, okay. Absolutely. T- tell me the year within two. 85? 1988. That's when that was on the radio and on dance floors throughout the country. So you can identify this one. Now, they consider this a one-hit wonder, but that is not true. The recording artist charted with this on the pop charts, but was a successful and continues to this day successful jazz recording artist smooth jazz, and other forms of musical genres. Here is the one hit from the pop charts that's part of the 1980s. Identify it and the recording artist. Nineteen. Yeah, yeah. Okay, nineteen. That's correct, Kimmy. Tell me the name of the recording artist. Paul Hardcastle. That's correct. The year within two. That would be eighty-seven. Nineteen eighty-five. Real test here. What war? What conflict are they talking about with that song? Vietnam. That is correct. That's right, Paul Hardcastle. And I know you have that on your MP3 player. Yes, I do. And Paul Hardcastle, very successful, smooth jazz artist, jazz artist, and other genres as well and uh, his music check it out seriously mm-hmm. uh, Paul, Car- Paul Hardcastle if you're good, only, good stuff yeah if your only exposure is to 19 uh, check out his other stuff too and the 19 re- extended remix is fantastic too now this one we're not going to ask a question because I know you don't even I mean this one's one of those that's really weird and really obscure the name of the recording artist is the Afternoon Delights yes they took their name from the Afternoon Delight by the Starland Vocal Band remember that mm-hmm. hit Okay, this 80s group, you know you're going to be in the tank when you choose a name of a song, you know, from the 70s. You're not going to have much life to you. This was done, it's a tribute song that was done. It's called the General Hospital Tale. That's General Hospital Tale, or it just, it's, a, it's a mouthful. Here it is. It started out in Port Charlestown. Frank's Miss mob used to hang around. No one could prove that he was a crook till Luke stole his little black book. It had names and numbers all in code, so Luke and Laura had to hit the road. They had to find the left-handed boy, watch their step, they had to be cool. The golden involved was worth so much, others wanted it like Sally and Hutch. But there's one thing I must confess, Sally was a man who wore a dress. Luke kept his cool, he ain't no fool, he set them both up cold. Well, Sally died, Hutch survived, and no one got to go. It almost sums up the early 80s of uh, General Hospital right there, the whole thing. And it goes on for about four and a half minutes. Wow. That's from 1981, The Afternoon Delights. 
You, you, you never heard that, have you? I sure don't remember that one. Yes. Now that is weird. I, 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 that should be the top of their weird list, correct? Absolutely. And of course, on their list from 1984, Jump in the Saddle Band with the Curly Shuffle. When me and my friends go out in the town, we can't sit still, we can't sit down. We don't like to fight and we don't like to scuffle, but we dance all night doing the Curly Shuffle. Hey, Mo, hey, Mo. Do you remember that one, Kimmy? I do. And you, there was actually a Honeymooners one, too, that they don't even have on the list. Remember that that came out? Yeah, yeah I'm, I'm not kidding. Uh, oh, yeah, the, the, uh, the Norton thing. The, you don't remember that with Joe Piscopo. That was uh, that was released. It barely, I don't even know if it hit top 40, but it was in the top 100. And hmm. so we have the list, the MeTV one, right on our website, right on the Nerd News section. You can find that at RileyandKimmy.com. We're going to continue right now with trivia. <laughs> You're, you're not walking out of the studio, right? Give me you're ready for more. Yeah. All right, here we go. Give me on this date, Wednesday, March 8th. This TV thing premiered on MeTV. Identify what this is and give me the year within two that it made its premiere. The fuck? <laughs> yeah. Me. <laughs> me. Kimmy, can you identify what that is? Beavis and Butthead. Yes, that's Beavis and Butthead. Give me the year within, well, within two. 90? 1993, it premiered on MTV. Did you ever watch Beavis and Butthead? I saw it sometimes. All right. Okay, it was on this date in history, Kimmy. A dog license law was enacted for the very first time. This is the first animal control law in the United States. What year did this happen? Was this 1894, 1914, 1924, and 1930? 1924. It was 1894. Mm. Dog license. That's Groucho, Chico, and Harpo in the last names. Marks. Yeah, see, you're you're rolling quite well with this, Kimmy. It was on this date in 1962. The Beatles performed for the very first time on BBC. It was on this date in 1964. The Dave Clark Five made their first appearance on The Ed Sullivan Show. It was 1965. This song was released. Identify the recording artist. Help me run now, yeah. Get her out of my home. Can you tell me who that is? The Beach Boys. That's correct. 1965. It was on this date, 1970. Diana Ross opened her first outing as a solo performer. 1974, Bad Company gave their debut performance in England. And it was on this date, 1980. This former Beatle releases a book, I, Me, Mine. It went on sale. Which Beatle is it? It's 1980. Oh, Ringo? No, it's George Harrison. I take it you don't have I, Me, Mine in your library. No. 
Well, I thought you might, considering, you know, you are a big Beatles fan. It was on this date, we moved to uh, birthdays, celebrity, notable birthdays. Tell me, give me the, the character this person is known for. I, I'll tell you the name. The actor is Alan Hale Jr., born 1918, died 1990. He appeared in over 200 films and television roles. Now, his most famous role, I think Kimmy knows, is is what, Kimmy? Skipper! That's right, the Skipper. He played on Gilligan's Island. Yes, he played on Gilligan's Island from 1964 to 1967 and in three Gilligan's Island television films and two spinoff cartoon series. So he was a skipper quite a bit. Lynn Redgrave was born on this date, 1943. Actress died 2010 at the age of 67. Give me the next one here we have. We need you to identify what he is famous for. His name is Mickey Dolenz, having a birthday. He is 72 today. He's best known as vocalist and drummer of a 1960s pop band and also TV show. Can you tell me the name of the group? The Monkey. Hey, We move to news question, Kimmy. This notable, known in the world of news, he anchors the weekday edition of NBC Nightly News. He is also the anchor of Dateline. NBC, who is it? Could you say that again? Short attention span of the Riley and Kimmy show. Here we go. Sponsored by the makers of Ritalin. No. Okay, Kimmy. Here we go. Moving over to this. Are you paying attention here? Okay, mm-hmm. quit paying. Uh, fish. Okay, pay attention here, Jar Jar. Here we go. This person is in the world of news. Anchors the weekday edition of the NBC Nightly News. He is also the anchor for Dateline. NBC. Who is he? Um, Lester Holt? That's correct, Kimmy. Glad you said that with some confidence. Yes, it is Lester. How old is Lester today within five? 62. Lester is 58 today. Moving over to another section of the Almanac in trivia. I see dead people. Notable deaths, 1874. Millard Fillmore passes away. Tell me what Millard Fillmore is known for. He was a president. That's correct. 13th president of the United States from 1950 to 1953. Died at the age of 74. 1930 saw the passing of William Howard Taft. That's William Taft. What is he known for? He was a president. Yes, 27th United States president from 1909 to 1913. And then chief justice of the Supreme Court. He died at the age of 72. Next person passed away 1999 at the age of 84. He's known for many things, but one of the things he's known for is he and Marilyn Monroe eloped in San Francisco many years ago. That was 1954, and he was a Major League Baseball star. Can you tell me who this is? Joe DiMaggio. That's correct. He died 1999 at the age of 84. And 1999, Peggy Cass passes away at 74. She was an actress, comedian, and regular panelist on game shows, known for To Tell the Truth from 1960 to its uh, revival, 1990. 
And she did so many other shows. She would appear like on Match Game and things like that. You remember her, don't you, Peggy Cass? Mm-hmm. I think you did a great job, Kimmy, today with uh, that tr- that you know one-hit wonder thing. I think you just did fantastic, and that was uh, fun. Thank you. And also with uh, general trivia as well. If you like what you hear here, be sure to tell your friends about the Riley and Kimmy Show. Be sure to follow us, like us, friend us, all that kind of social media stuff. You can find those links right on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Right now, I think we'll focus on a couple of things from trivia, and we'll go back in time to do so with a golden age of radio. Radio was new. Radio, someone still Anytime we can go back in time to focus on the golden age of radio, we take that opportunity. We're doing that right now, and we're going to focus on the two presidents we talked about with trivia. First of all, we have an episode of Golden Age of Radio called The Oath, starring actor William Powell as Millard Fillmore and June Dupre as his wife. And then we have a fantastic production of, uh, well, a biography, if you will, but it's actually a dramatization of about, well, it's about William Taft. And it stars Edward Arnold. Both are fantastic pieces of production of the Golden Age of Radio. Please be forgiving of the sound quality because it was recorded a long time ago. Here we go back in time with the very first one about Millard Fillmore. It's called The Oath, starring William Powell on The Riley and Kimmy Show. Rises on Lake Erie, a chill gray day in March 1849, sweeps up the lanes of Buffalo with the rush of history and envelops a stately gabled mansion standing on a small hilltop. Here lives the most distinguished Buffalo citizen of his day, a man now sought by many reporters. Mr. Fillmore will be down right away, gentlemen. Thank you, Thank you Mr. But Fillmore. please don't hold him long. Our carriage is waiting. Uh, Mrs. Fillmore, are you looking forward to living in Washington? Oh, yes. Yes, but I I know we'll always long to come back to Buffalo. You know, we came here when it was just a frontier settlement. It means so much to us. Is it true your husband was born in a log cabin? Oh, yes. And is it true that you were his schoolteacher? Yes, I had a one-room schoolhouse, and when he was 20, he came there to study. Did you suspect right away you were going to marry him? (laughs) Not the first day. (laughs) (laughs) Or did you think he'd become vice president of the United States? Well, ah, here you are, dear. Good day, gentlemen. Good day, sir. Welcome. It's kind of you to drop in on us before our departure. Well, Mr. Vice President, you seem to be calm as you face your new duties. People are always telling me I look calm, especially when I feel least calm. Perhaps that's because the more serious the crisis, the more I feel we've got to keep our heads. Then you feel a crisis is gathering. One of the most serious our country has known. Gentlemen, we are very fortunate to have Zachary Taylor as president. Being a war hero, maybe he can give us the unity we'll need if we're to hold our land together these next few years. God help us to get through those years. President Taylor... Yes? You wanted to see the vice president this morning, sir. He's here. Oh, yes. Sure, man, it was. Come in, Mr. Fillmore. Thank you. Good morning, Mr. President. Ah, good morning, Fillmore. Forgive me for getting you over here at this early hour of the morning. Sit down, please. Thank you, sir. Fillmore, 
How are we going to break the deadlock? I don't know, sir. Do you realize that Congress hasn't passed one useful piece of legislation in the eight months we've been in office? I know. Everything stumbles on the one main issue. Yeah, it's exasperating. Look at California. Why can't she be admitted? She's ready and waiting. Everyone wants her in the Union. Why in blazes can't we move ahead? You know the reason, sir. The South won't admit her as a free state, and the North won't any other way. Huh. Well, last night, some of the congressmen brought me a plan for breaking the deadlock. The compromise that Clay's been working on behind locked doors. Oh, how does it look, sir? Yeah, that's what I want you to tell me. I'm told old Daniel Webster approved, which seems hard to believe. Is he in his dotage? Why, no. If Webster approves, there must be something to it. Well, see what you think. Now, here's the compromise they're proposing. First, California to be admitted as a free state. <laughs> the North will cheer for that. Yeah, indeed, yes. Next, New Mexico and Utah to be organized without reference to slavery. The question to be decided by the people. That will please the South. Right. Gives them a chance to even the scales. Next, slave markets to be banished from the city of Washington. Ah, another sop for the North. Yes, but at a price, Fillmore. And here's the price. Effective federal machinery for the return of slaves escaped to the North. Good heavens, no. Raw, isn't it? I suppose they thought that I, being a slave owner, would be ready to swallow a fugitive slave act. Oh, I'm afraid the North would never endure it. And right that they shouldn't. Why, sir, it would put the federal government in the slave-catching business. We'd be hounded out of office. Nothing you could do would cause more anger. Oh, glad you spoke frankly, Fillmore. Well, I'm happy that you, a southerner, feel as I do, sir. <laughs> I think the politicians are surprised about that. I kind of think they nominated me with the idea that I'd be easy for them. But believe me, I'm not. I'm going to fight it out if it takes months. You see if I don't. Don't you want your breakfast, dear? You haven't touched it. Oh, uh, no. No, I don't feel like it, Abigail. You're worried, aren't you, Millard? My dear... Uh, come in. Congressman Toombs is here to see Mr. Fillmore. Congressman Toombs? Are you sure? Yes, sir. Well, show him into my study. I, I'll see him at once. Yes. That's odd. Is that Congressman Toombs of Georgia? Yes, one of the southern leaders. Well, what do you suppose he wants? Well, I have no idea. Well, I'll go talk to him. I'll be back presently. Ah, Congressman Toombs. Mr. Fillmore. I'm glad to see you, sir. Sit down, please. Uh, thank you. Well, uh, to what do I owe the honor of this visit? Well, Mr. Fillmore, I am told that before the president announced his stand a few months ago on the compromise bills, including the Flu Fugitive Slave Act, he consulted you. Uh, that's true. Sir... We Southern Whigs who accepted you and Northerner as vice president resent your influence on the president. Indeed. Well, the president made up his own mind about the compromise. He had decided before I saw him. Then he is a traitor to the South. He considers himself the president of the whole country, not of the South alone. Then you do well to caution him. Mr. Fillmore... I come to you because we Southerners no longer have the ear of the president... 
I have this to tell you. Yes? The South has called a meeting for this summer at Nashville. A meeting of southern states. To what purpose? To vote on secession. You can't mean it. I do mean it. President Taylor has stated that disunion is treason. If any state secedes, he swears he himself will take the field against it. My dear sir, the soldiers who followed Zachary Taylor to victory in the Mexican War were mostly southern soldiers. Do you think those southerners would follow him now against their own people? But secession, that's monstrous. What did we fight for for so many years? What is independence without union? The South, too, fought for union. But today, the South knows we no longer have a union. What do you mean? The North is an independent land, sir. And the South is its colony. Ah, how can you say that? It's true. You yourself helped pass a tariff act some years ago for the benefit of the North. A tariff of abominations, we called it. We later revised it. <laughs> Not until it had ruined the South. For the North, it meant wealth. For the South, high prices. That showed us the way the wind was blowing, Mr. Fillmore. If we're to have a land run for the benefit of the North, then better that we pull out now and found a glorious confederacy, not a colony. I see. Good day, Mr. Fillmore. I'll see you to the front door. Don't trouble. Indeed, I will, Congressman. Mr. Fillmore... I understand the president will lay the cornerstone of the new Washington Monument on July 4th. That's right. And will make an appeal for national unity. I hope you'll advise him how that unity may be won. Good day, Mr. Vice President. Good day, Congressman. Millard, has he gone? Yes. Well, come back to breakfast now, dear. I, I'm shaking like a leaf inside. I know. Look, I fixed you what you always like when you're upset. <laughs> Bread and milk. What an absurd dish. <laughs> I wonder what the voters would say if they knew that the vice president calms his nerves in a crisis by eating bread and milk. Never mind what they'd think. It makes you feel better. Mm. I wonder why. You know, I used to eat this all the time when I was a boy. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe. Eating bread and milk for breakfast and then tramping to school to study with the beautiful young school teacher. <laughs> Everything I learned seemed so exciting then. <laughs> you know, I thought it was the stories of Washington and Jefferson that were having such a heady effect on me, but uh, I guess it was also you. Those wonderful days. You know, history, when you uh, studied in school, has to do with heroes who face clear-cut moments of right against wrong, freedom against tyranny. <laughs> it all looked so beautifully clear from that frontier schoolroom. Why, what do you mean, dear? Suppose, instead of becoming one nation, the states had split apart. Could we have kept our freedom? Of course not. Why, to be free, we must be strong and, and united. Well, look what's happening. The freedom of Hungary crushed by the Habsburgs. In France, another Napoleon. Yes, freedom is on the run. And here... Do things really look so dangerous here? Abigail, this summer, there will be a secession meeting at Nashville. Oh, Millard, how dreadful. North and south, 
Soldiers are getting out their uniforms and drilling. Oh, no. Oh, poor old General Taylor. No wonder he looked so weary the last time I saw him. He's not beaten yet. The president entered office as a war hero, hated by no one. That glamour still clings to him. If it wasn't for that one great unifying force, I think the whole thing would fall apart tomorrow. You don't mean it, Millard. Ah, if only we could recapture the old spirit of Bunker Hill in Yorktown. That's what the president means to try next month when he dedicates the Washington Monument. And if he can't do it, no man can. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you the President of the United States. I won't talk long. It's too blasted hot. <laughs> Fellow citizens, a great stone shaft will rise here, honoring a man who led us in an hour of danger. An hour we should remember today because... Are you all right, sir? I swore to please. Yes, sir. Oh, thanks. I'd I best sit down for a moment. Had you better return to the White House, Mr. President? Uh, I reckon I'd better. You are listening to William Powell and June Dupre in The Oath on the Cavalcade of America, sponsored by the DuPont Company maker of better things for better living through chemistry. As the second part of our story opens, it is the night of July 9th, 1850, at the home of Millard Fillmore, Vice President of the United States. Miller, there you are. I'm so worried. Yes, I, I couldn't sleep. So I put on my dressing gown and came down to read. You want to sit with me a while? Of course. Would you like me to read to you? I'd love it. My eyes are so tired just now. All right. Is this the book you were reading? Orations of Daniel Webster? Yes. Oh, he's a wonderful man, Miller. For 20 years, American schoolboys have been learning his speeches by heart. Yes. He's a kind of symbol of the Union. Oh, here's a place you've marked. When my eyes shall be turned to behold for the last time the sun in heaven, may I not see it shining on the broken and dishonored fragments of a once glorious union, on states dissevered, discordant, belligerent, on a land rent with civil feuds or drenched it may be in fraternal blood. Let their last Let feeble... Let their last feeble and lingering glance, rather, behold the gorgeous ensign of the Republic. You know it by heart. Now known and honored throughout the world. Oh, that's the front door. Well, I'd better open it. The servants are asleep. Be careful, dear. Mr. Fillmore, the president has taken a turn for the worse. Would you come to the White House, please, sir? Oh, yes. Yes, I'll get dressed and come at once. 
Selmore? Yes, Mr. President. I expect a summons soon. I've done my best. I regret nothing except leaving all my friends. Mr. President. Mr. President. faithfully execute the office of President of the United States and will, to the best of my ability, preserve, protect, and defend the Constitution of the United States. Mr. President, Senator Daniel Webster is here to see you now. Oh, show him right in. Yes, sir. Come right in, Senator Webster. Thank you. Good morning, Mr. President. Good morning, Senator Webster. I hope I find you well. Well, as well as can be expected. How soon will you be moving into the White House? Well, not for some weeks. For a while, I shall use my old office in the Senate building. I understand. Mr. Webster... Our national crisis is still on us. It is deepening, Mr. President. Mm. From California come reports of growing anarchy, the lack of a government. Here, emigrants hesitate to start west. Everywhere, businessmen are fearful of the future. Are we to become impotent, even to act on our own behalf? The nation awaits your leadership, sir. Mr. Webster... Do you still favor the compromise proposed by Senator Clay? I do, sir. Do you realize that if that compromise is ever enacted with its Fugitive Slave Act, those who are responsible will win undying hatred in the North? They will be reviled till their last day. And yet I say enacted. Let us admit California, New Mexico, and Utah at any cost. Then new energies will burst from us and in that wild western land will grow a people that will despise slavery no matter what we here decide. In a few years, the cause of freedom will be so strengthened that the final issue can never be in doubt. What do you hear of the threat of secession? I hear that foreign powers are secretly encouraging it with hints of military aid. Senator, though I once opposed the compromise... I ask you now to be my Secretary of State and to work for its quick enactment. To that end, I gladly serve you. I'm sure that with your influence, Congress will accept the compromise and the deadlock will be broken. But I have no illusions about the price we are paying. Furniture's all on the wagon, Mrs. Fillmore. You want us to start for the White House? Yes, please. Go ahead. Yes, ma'am. Come on, boys. Get up. Well, Abigail, all ready to go over? Oh, darling, I didn't see you. Oh, well, I just drove over from the Senate building. I knew you'd be about ready to go over to the White House, so I thought we might ride over together. How wonderful. Uh, come, then. Carriage is there in the driveway. But how could you get away? Oh, I've signed 11 bills this morning already. 
Congress is rolling them out fast now. The session may end next week. Oh, how splendid. Get in, dear. Thank you. Go ahead, William. Yes, Mr. President. Come on. Oh, dear. I've been back and forth all morning. There's so much to be done. How's it going? Oh, fine, but there's so many problems. The rug in that oval room, you know. Yes? Well, it was in a terrible condition, so I had it taken up. And what do you suppose? There was another rug under it which was even filthier. It must have been there since James Monroe. <laughs> <laughs> and do you know, Millard, they've been using an open fire for cooking in the White House. Do you think they'd mind if I put in a range? Well, uh, now, don't make everything too perfect for us. Remember, our lease is short. Oh, what a way to talk. No, I'm serious. In two years, you'll have your wish. We'll return to Buffalo. But after the start you've no, made... I mean it. I don't want you to have any false ideas of how it will be. The long deadlock is over. But now the letters are coming in. What do you mean? Well, I brought some with me. Here's one. Mr. President, Benedict Arnold was our first great traitor. You are the second. Yours is the greater infamy. Oh, no. How could anyone... Here's another. Mr. President... The Abolition Society of our city has voted to do everything in its power to drive you from public life. Oh, oh darling, how unfair. Oh, I'm so sorry. There he is. There's the president. Look out. That man's going to throw something. Oh, thank heaven it missed you. Uh, uh, driver, uh, faster, please, faster. Yes, sir. Yes. There's still a lot of people along Pennsylvania Avenue. Sit down, dear, and drink your coffee. Yeah, they're looking this way, sullen and angry. Darling, I'm sorry it had to be this way. So am I. It... it did have to, didn't it? You too have doubts, don't you? No. No, but... Does any man ever know if he made the one right decision... No. My moment came even before we moved into the White House. And it wasn't as simple as it looked to a Buffalo schoolboy. I know, darling. But just think, from a log cabin schoolroom to the White House, you mustn't doubt your decision. Have faith. Have faith in a country that guarantees everyone a chance, a chance to do the right thing, even though many may not understand. Thank you, dear. When the time came, one thing seemed most important. You remember those words of Webster's that you read to me that night? I remember. When mine eyes shall behold for the last time the sun in heaven, let me not see it shining on the broken fragments of a once glorious union. Let me behold, rather, the glorious ensign of the Republic... Not a stripe erased, not a single star obscured. Bearing for its motto, no such words of delusion and folly as liberty first and union afterwards. But liberty and union, now and forever, one and inseparable.
Mr. President, starring Edward Arnold. Mr. President at home in the White House, the elected leader of our people, our fellow citizen and neighbor. These are little-known stories of the men who have lived in the White House. Dramatic, exciting events in their lives that you and I so rarely hear. True human stories of Mr. President. Before we bring you today's performance of Mr. President, let's get a little philosophical on the subject of character in our presidents. You know, all American boys, and little girls too perhaps, grow up with the idea that they might be presidents someday. And why not? Our presidents have come from every environment. Rich and aristocratic, like Washington. Poor and self-educated, like Lincoln. They've been farmers and lawyers, warriors and school teachers. Teddy Roosevelt was bluff and hearty. Wilson was a quiet, scholarly type. But what one quality did they have that made them presidential material? Personality? A sense of responsibility? Think about it. Could you be a Jackson or a Monroe? Well, let's learn more about it now by listening to today's story of Mr. President. And now see if you can name the president upon whom this episode is based. It was a cold day in Washington, a day filled with ice and sleet. But it was Inauguration Day, and there was warm joy in the heart of the new president and his first lady as they rode on the official coach and four after the ceremony. Oh, well, my dear, I always said it would be a cold day when I got to be president <laughs> of the United States, and so it is. <laughs> oh, nonsense. You're as proud as punch, and so am I, Mr. President. Of course I am. But I do have to look around when somebody says, Mr. President, to see who he's talking to. <laughs> oh, I think this drive is the proudest and happiest event of the day. Imagine us driving down through the Capitol grounds and now on Pennsylvania Avenue on our way to the White House. Oh, it still seems almost unbelievable. You know, Nellie, I pinch myself every little while to make myself realize it's all true. I still feel just a bit like a fish out of water. <laughs> and I feel very daring. After all, never before has the president's wife ridden back to the White House with him from the inaugural. Well, since the ex-president decided not to ride with me, I, I'm very glad you decided to break the president. In fact, my dear, I think I prefer you. You're prettier. <laughs> You're very sweet. Did you know the children were in the Senate gallery listening intently to your inaugural address? No. They sat through it all? Even Charlie? Even Charlie. Because <laughs> he wasn't taking any chances. No. He did bring a copy of Treasure Island with him. But I must say he didn't open it once. He, he didn't. <laughs> that is the perfect gesture. <laughs> it must have been a very good speech. Oh, of course it was. I was very proud of you. Thank you, my dear. You know, this isn't going to be an easy job. It will have its full share of headaches and heartaches, but with you at my side, well, they'll be easier to bear. I'll always be at your side, dear. And I know you'll be a good president. Well, I'm certainly going to try. I'm going to make good all my campaign promises, too. I'm going to get a lower tariff and a balanced budget, 
conservation of our natural resources and... Uh, How about the campaign promise you made to me? Uh, what's that? To take off about 20 pounds. Oh, <laughs> oh I'll keep that one, too. I'll exercise like mad. And you'll cut down on food. But I like food. Speaking of weight, my dear, you promised me you'd gain some. Well, I'll try to keep that promise, too. Mr. President? Who, me? Oh, there I go again. I'm forgetting. <laughs> you know, Nellie, for once in more than 20 years of public service, I may be able to save a little money on this job. Oh, you're not becoming mercenary, I hope. Oh, no, no, I hope not, but I'm getting on in years. I have to think about providing for my family for a change. I do think it was fine of them to raise the salary to 75000 And only fair. I'll have to spend at least 50000 of it. And it should be a citizen's right to earn a little more than he needs to live on. Well, I'm sure we'll manage, Mr. President. Is he here again? Oh, good heavens, that's me, isn't it? Well, I'll just have to get used to the sound of it, that's all. <laughs> sent for me, Mr. President? Yeah, I did, Mr. Parker. I'm glad to see you. Won't you sit down? Thank you. I believe you'll find our national forests in good order, sir. Yes, thanks to your abilities as chief forester. Mr. Parker, you know more about conservation than almost any man in the country today. But my dear fellow, you're not a lawyer, and I'm afraid you're quite willing to camp outside the law to accomplish your beneficent purposes. I don't understand. What do you mean by such a remark? Well, my attention has been called to the matter in which you've had licenses for electric power transmission through the national forests. I think I've done a most competent job with my authority on licenses. I cannot agree with you. Your licensing authority is given you purely as a safety measure to guard against fires. Have you confined it to that? Well, I had an opportunity to save the people money. Is that bad? No. None of it's an opportunity within the law. But my dear Parker, I can't let you use your licensing authority as a club to force electric companies to charge what you consider proper rates. When reforms are needed, I believe in doing something about them. And so do I. But not by usurping power, which is not rightfully mine. If we get into the habit of working outside the law for reforms, what is to prevent others from working outside the law for evil? I have had no complaints on my practice. The companies have fallen in line. Perhaps. But I've had many complaints about it. For that reason, I've submitted the entire question to the Attorney General. He's given me an adverse ruling on your practice. Therefore, you will please drop it. Don't you want the people to have lower electric rates? And emphatically, but not by illegal methods. There's a proper channel for decisions on rates. Very well, Mr. President, if that is your decision. Good day. Good day. How do you do, Mr. Parker? How do you do? I was just leaving, madam. Good day. Mr. President. What is this? Have you been crying? Oh, I can't help it. Everything's gone wrong. What's the trouble? It's my dress. Well, it looks all right to me. Oh, not this one. Have you forgotten that the inaugural ball is only a few hours away? Oh, good heavens, that's right. Uh, well, how does your new dress look? Well, it hasn't arrived. What? I had it made in New York, you know, and the dressmaker promised me faithfully to be here on time. It isn't. I just don't know what to do. Mm-hmm. That's bad. Can't you wear something else? To the inaugural ball? Hmm? Well, I don't have a thing to wear. That's very bad. Uh, have you tried telegraphing New York? Yes, and they assure me it should be here, but it isn't. Now, what am I going to do? Well, keep calm, my dear. Keep calm and borrow a gown from somebody if you have to. Oh, I hate to do that. 
Mr. President, mm? what are you nibbling? Oh, just a few bonbons somebody left in the study here. Mm. Oh. And I know who that somebody was. Didn't you promise me you'd take off 20 pounds? Well, I intend to. I'm... I'm going to play, play golf later in the week. Yes, and you're going to stop eating between meals right now. Oh, but it's a long time till dinner, my dear. I'm hungry. Well, you'll wait till dinner. Why, you're developing a bay window, a real corporation. Oh, goodness me, does everybody have a grudge against corporations around here? No. Well, I must see if the gowns arrived yet. Well, I'm waiting for one of my new cabinet officers to arrive. Well, don't forget, you have to get dressed, too. Well, I won't, I won't. Nobody will notice what I'm wearing. Archie! Yes, Mr. President? Has the secretary arrived yet? He just got here, sir. Well, fine. Will you have him come in? Yes, sir. The president will see you now, sir. Thank you, Captain. How are you, Mr. President? I'm very well, Mr. Ballard, and you? Not bad. What with the blizzard and all. Well, I appreciate your dropping in so promptly in spite of the storm. First of all, let me say I'm delighted to have you in my cabinet. I appreciate the honor of being your secretary of the interior. Of course, I was reluctant to leave my private practice again. I know, I know. I had to send out my most eloquent persuaders before I could get you to accept the post. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Ballin, I saw what you did with the land office in my predecessor's service. You found it a chaos and you left it an efficient and admirably conducted office. It was my job, sir. Yes, and an important one, too. Our soil, our forests, our water sites, our coal, we have to save for the nation's future. We'll need our resources uh, for agriculture and industry and for protection against possible enemies many generations from now. I'm with you wholeheartedly in every particular, sir. I know you are, and that's why I'm glad to have you handling this department, Mr. Secretary. But there's one item. And what is that? Let's do things within the law. The former secretary and some of his associates, uh, yourself accepted, of course, didn't always follow that rule. I know the temptation when you figure your cause is right and the end justifiable to be contemptuous of the means, but I firmly believe we run the risk of worse evils when we go beyond our limited powers under law. I'm a lawyer myself, sir, and in perfect accord with your approach. Good. I know that I can count on you. Indeed you can, Mr. President. Thank you. And good day, sir. Good day. Goodbye, Archie. Goodbye, Mr. Ballard. <sighs> oh, Archie. Uh, yes, Mr. President? Uh, is it time for us to get dressed for the ball? I think it is, sir. Oh, it's arrived, dear. What? The day is saved. What's arrived? What? Oh, <clears throat> the new gown. My, my, don't we look elegant. Uh, it's white satin. <laughs> and see the goldenrod pattern? See it. I can feel my hay fever coming on already. <laughs> oh, I'm so relieved that the messenger got here with it. He was delayed by the blizzard. Hmm. Does fit well, doesn't it? Oh, perfectly, perfectly. And may I say, madam, that you're very beautiful and that I am a very lucky man? Thank you. I think the country is lucky to have you for a president. But I'm even luckier to have you for a husband. Mr. President, have you seen this magazine article? No, I haven't had much time for magazines in these last few months, Archie. What is it? It's a vicious editorial attack on the Department of the Interior, sir. Hmm? Let me see that. The Corrigans are reaching out for Alaska coal deposits estimated as being worth three and a half billion dollars or more. We must deplore the reckless immorality with which the head of a great department is willing to work against the interests of the people 
whom he is supposed to represent. <laughs> the president, good-natured and trustful, has been outrageously misled. Why, this is monstrous. Can there be any truth in what they say? Well, of course not. I have every confidence in Mr. Ballard's integrity. But what's behind this? What motive can they have for smearing an honest administration? I think you'll find that in the article on the next page, the one by Louis George. Who is Louis George? A special agent in the general land officer. Well, let me see what he says. Are the Corrigans in charge of the Department of the Interior? The Alaska coal lands are in danger in Ballard's hands. Valuable Alaska coal lands are the objective of a larcenous conspiracy. Secretary Ballard has aided the conspirators and proved that the interior officers are not safe in his hands. Why, this is fantastic. How can any government agent make a charge like that against his superior? And why does he make it in the press instead of coming to me? I don't know, sir. But I certainly hope the charges are entirely unfounded. Of course they are. But whether true or false, these charges will continue making the rounds. The opposition press will be only too happy to seize on it and make capital of it. Well, let them make capital all they can. I'll investigate this and prove it's a lie. But in the meantime, sir, it'll do a great deal of harm to your administration, to the party itself. There's nothing that can be done about that, I'm afraid. There's one thing that may do it. What's that? Ask the secretary for his resignation. Are you serious, Archie? I hardly expected a suggestion like this from my trusted aide. It may sound like a harsh move, sir, but if it's for the common good, I'm in favor of it. I see. So you think it would be political wisdom to let Ballard out? I sincerely do, sir. Well, I don't think I'll be politically wise. I don't think any ends justified despicable means. And I don't intend to desert a man just because he's under attack. Certainly not until I've given him a chance to explain the entire matter. But any delay, sir, plays into the enemy's hands. Archie, there's such a thing as justice, and I hope I never get so fond of this job that I forget it. Have Mr. Ballard come to see me as soon as possible. We'll have no verdicts until all the evidence is in. just a moment, we'll come back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Do you take your basic rights and freedoms for granted? Many of us do, for we think we can't ever lose them. Well, that trend of thinking is dangerous. For history has proved that people start to lose their freedom the moment they think it forever secure. That's why we must all work at keeping our American heritage of freedom. To win against the totalitarian idea, Americans must become more aware of their citizenship. Today, many nations of the world are standing at the crossroads between free government and dictatorship. But those who still aspire to freedom look to the United States as an example. Therefore, what Americans do during the troubled months ahead can greatly influence the decision the war-exhausted peoples will make. As a good citizen, work to defend your individual liberties. Do this by taking an active part in the affairs of your community and in fulfilling at all times the duties of American citizenship. And now back to Edward Arnold and Mr. President. Well, have you figured out who the president was when these events were taking place? They really did happen, you know. The attacks on the Department of the Interior grew like wildfire in the press from the moment of the publication of the magazine article. Meanwhile, the President and the Secretary of the Interior were in serious conference on the charges.
Believe me, Mr. President, I was just as amazed and agitated by the article as you are. Mr. Ballard, I believe in you, but I'd like to have all the facts. Why these charges against you? What about these Corrigan coal land grants in Alaska? Well, seven years ago, Corrigan went into the Alaska wastes and discovered coal deposits. On behalf of himself and the syndicate of friends, he staked out some claims. Did he file notices of location on his claims? Yes, he did, and his group paid the treasury for them. I see. Then he acted legally, and his claims were approved. Yes, I myself was commissioner of the land office at the time, and after investigation by my agents, I approved the claims. What did the agent Lewis George have to do with this matter? Well, he came to me with charges that the Corrigan claims were fraudulent, and I ordered him to take charge of the investigation. Later, all other agents and I decided the Corrigan petitions were legal. I telegraphed word to George, ordering final approval given to the Corrigan group. Did George protest his approval? He did, and though I thought it without foundation, I immediately rescinded approval of the claims. They remained in that status for over a year. Meanwhile, I resigned as land commissioner. When I came back to Washington as Secretary of the Interior, there was a demand for some action on the long-delayed Alaska matters. Was George given every opportunity to give evidence? He was, sir. He countered with delays, evasions, and hints of corruption, but he offered no shred of proof. After months of these delays, the assistant secretary decided that justice required a prompt, clear title to the lands. At this point, George went to Parker, chief of the National Forest Service, charging official misconduct against myself and the land commissioner. And wrote that scandalous article for the magazine. And I'm sorry to hear Parker has sided with George. You have documentary proof of everything on the Corrigan case? I've brought it along, Mr. President. I see. You'll find there's not the slightest evidence of fraud on anyone's part. You'll also find that these coal lands aren't worth a fraction of what Parker and George claim they are. Mr. Ballard, I believe you've acted in an honest and upright manner. I'll study all of this evidence tonight and go, to go over it with the Attorney General. I'll await your decision. Thank you. Good day, Mr. President. Good day. President, I must see you at once. You are seeing me, Mr. Parker. Sit down. I am told that you have ordered the dismissal of Lewis George from government service. That is correct, sir. By what right, sir, do you discharge the most vigorous defender of the people's interests? By what right, Mr. Parker, do you question my right to order the dismissal of any government employee who is unfit for service? I beg your pardon, but that young man is not unfit. He is as deeply interested in conservation as I am. And as I am, and as Ballard is. The Attorney General and I have examined documents furnished both by Mr. Ballard and Mr. George. Mr. George, we discovered, has charged the Secretary and the Assistant Secretary and the Land Commissioner with aiding the Corrigan Group to secure claims that are fraudulent and unlawful. That is my contention, too. For your information, Mr. Parker, the Attorney General and I found no evidence to sustain Mr. George's attack. When a subordinate in a government office makes a charge against his chief based upon mere suspicion... It makes it impossible for that subordinate to continue in the service of the government. I say an injustice was done to George. And I say a much graver injustice was done to Ballard and the others. Mr. President, I begin to wonder if you're as interested in conservation as you profess to be. I resent your remarks, sir. Conservation was no real issue in this matter? I believe it is. And I think it is the duty of those who would conserve the national resources to withhold all valuable coal lands from exploitation. Mr. Parker, this particular land was legally granted. It is not as valuable to the government as you suppose. I'm inclined to, uh, inclined to doubt that any Alaska coal land will ever be of great value to the government. I beg to differ. As you choose. 
Time will say who is right. The point is that the Corrigans are entitled to the property for which this government received favor. That, Mr. President, is a reactionary attitude. We have a government of limited powers under the Constitution, sir. We've got to work out our problems on the basis of law. Now, if that's reactionary, then I'm a reactionary. By your own admission, sir. Mr. Parker, I get impatient at criticism by men who don't know what the law is, who haven't looked it up, but who ascribe all sorts of motives to those who live within it. Now, Mr. Parker... Actually, you and I and Ballard have the same interests in conservation. We merely have different methods in achieving it. Won't you try to get together with Ballard? Never, sir. I can never work with him. Then departmental jealousy rather than conservation is the root of all this, hmm? My duty is clear. I must ask you, sir, for your resignation. And you may have it, sir. I will take this to the people. Good day, Mr. President. <laughs> trip like this down the Potomac will do you good, Mr. President. You've been working much too hard. And so have you, my dear. I'm afraid your duties at the White House have been pretty strenuous. You both need a little relaxation. Yes, Archie. I want to visit Mount Vernon and not have to worry for a while about how many unexpected guests to expect <laughs> for lunch and a dinner. Well, I, for one, will be glad to get away from newspapers and scandalous charges for a change. Did you read that blast from Watterson's paper in Louisville? Read it? Huh. Archie, I'll carry the memory of that blast with me to my dying day. And I quote now, for the first time in the history of the country, a president of the United States has openly proclaimed himself the friend of thieves and the enemy of honest men. Vitriolic, sir, but yeah. you'll remember that I anticipated it. I'm not the only one who suggested that Secretary Ballard may prove a political burden. Archie, if I were to turn Ballard out in view of his innocence and of the conspiracy against him, I'd be a white-livered skunk. I don't care how it affects my administration. Well, now that Mr. Ballard has demanded the congressional investigation into the charges against him, I'm sure he'll be completely exonerated. And so am I. Even if Parker and the magazine have hired a pair of high-priced lawyers to represent Louis George as a witness against Ballard. Nellie, what do you say if I... She's fainted, sir. What's the trouble? I'll see if there's any brandy aboard. Yeah, but, uh, darling, what's wrong? Archie, Archie. Yes, sir? Have the captain turn the yacht back to the wharf. I think, I think she suffered a stroke. How is she today, sir? Oh, she doesn't walk or talk. Archie, I... I don't know what's going to happen to her. Oh, she'll pull through, Mr. President. She'll be all right? Oh, I hope so. I hope so. Archie, I don't think I could bear it if, if anything happened. What do the doctors say? Well, they're not certain. The symptoms indicate paralysis, but they're hoping it may be a nervous hysteria, not actual paralysis. God grant they're right. You don't want to be disturbed with business matters, Mr. President. Yes, I do, or I'll go out of my mind with worry. What about the investigation of Secretary Ballard? It's in progress, isn't it? Yes, sir. Charges of delinquency in office have already been preferred by Parker and George against the secretary. So far, they've been unable to substantiate any charges of corruption. Ah, of course not. What have the attorneys brought out on the delinquency in office? They've claimed he's been an enemy of the policy of conservation. No real evidence yet. Uh, there won't be any, I'm sure. One point brought out was a little disturbing. Mm -hmm. What was that? 
The fact that Ballard did some work for the Corrigan interests after he left the land office and before he became secretary, work for which he received a fee of $250. Ballard accepted money from Corrigan? Yes, sir. I'm afraid it looks rather bad. Oh, but wait a minute, Archie. That explains it, don't you see? Explains what, sir? It explains why he refused to rule on the validity of their claims when he became secretary. Because of his small service to them, he disqualified himself to rule in the government matter. Let's hope the committee realizes that. It's possible that the investigation may come to an end soon. They've heard most of the testimony. Well, then I should hear from Ballard soon. Heaven knows I should get some good news about something. I'll get it, sir. Thank you. She wants to see the president. Oh, of course. Right away. What is it, Archie? What is it? The doctor says she wants to see you, sir. Does that mean she, she can talk? Let's hurry, Archie. Let's hurry. Yes, sir. Oh, my dear, my dear. You are better, aren't you? Of course I am. The doctors say I have the constitution of a buffalo. (laughs) See? I can talk. Oh, I'm so grateful, my dear. And you're going to get better quickly. You're going to have a long vacation, and you'll be walking and dancing and chattering like mad before you know it. (laughs) How you do carry on. Oh, my dear, you mean so much to me. If I could only tell you what's in my heart, I... I know, dear. And I love you very much. She must rest now. Hmm? Yes, yes, of course. Uh, I'll be back, Nellie, very soon, my dear, very soon. Look, it's Mr. Ballard. Oh, wonderful. I'm glad to see you, Ballard. And I'm glad to see you, Mr. President. How is she? Oh, improved, improved. She's talking. But tell me, what about the investigation? It's all over. The committee exonerated me. Ah, that's splendid news. Congratulations. And may I offer mine, too, Mr. Ballard? Thank you. It's been a source of great strength to me, Mr. President, that you've stood by me in the midst of these attacks. Well, somebody has to stand by a man when he's being unjustly accused. The committee could have saved a lot of time and money by taking my word for it. Ballard... You and I will continue to do a job for the nation. An honest job within the limits of the law. Well, you've probably figured out by now who the president was when all that happened. It really did happen, you know, and you'll have the answer in just a moment. What are you thinking about, Mr. President? I'm thinking, my dear, what a lucky man I am. You're on the mend now, walking about and talking. (laughs) You may regret that talking when I chatter your ears off. (laughs) You don't know what music it is to my ears. And Mr. Ballard's been completely vindicated, too. Oh, I think that's wonderful. Even if it's true that the fight with Parker may cost you re-election. I don't mind, my dear. I have you back, and that's the that's reward enough. Oh, I know that someday all Americans will realize, dear, what an honest, unselfish, and progressive president they had in William Howard Taft. program is produced and directed by Dick Wallen. Mr. President was created by Robert G. Jennings. 
Today's story was based on incidents in the life of President William Howard Taft. If you enjoyed that golden age of radio production, be sure to follow The Riley and Kimmy Show. We feature old-time radio shows from time to time. We have archived episodes available right now on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. Some of them have old-time radio episodes on them. Please tell your friends about The Riley and Kimmy Show. Help us grow. Our social media links are available on our website at RileyandKimmy.com. That's R-I-L-E-Y and Kimmy, K-I-M-M-Y, dot com. If you friend, follow, and like us, we will friend and follow you back. Also, be sure to check out our website, events page, and our social media pages for updates where the Riley and Kimmy show will be appearing next. And we're available for your pop culture event and also those that are animal-based, about pets and animals, too. We have a spinoff show called Animal Special. So be sure to tell your friends about us. It's the Riley and Kimmy Show, the nerd variety talk show with daily pop culture episodes. The Riley and Kimmy Show. Find archive podcasts of The Riley and Kimmy Show at RileyandKimmy.com. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.